This is Stephen Stranger. Welcome to my podcast, God, Trump, and the 2020 Election. You know, when I wrote the book in 2019, we had no idea who'd be the nominee. Now it looks like it's going to be Joe Biden. I mean, he has the number of delegates needed. But my guest today, Tom Ertle, who has been a friend of mine for a long time, has a theory that he wrote about in News with Views, and he believes that Joe Biden won't be the nominee. So I called him and I said, Tom, we have to do a podcast on this. And so without further ado, I'll introduce Tom Ertle, who I actually got to know through the Trump campaign in 2016, and then we've become friends since then, and he is... I don't know. You're a live wire. I've never met anybody like you. You're a builder. You're a home builder up there in Tallahassee, Florida, but you're also very, very involved in your Presbyterian church, and you're involved in all kinds of activities. And how in the world do we become friends? It was more than just us liking Trump, wasn't it? You know, when, when Steve, uh, Tom here, when you're dealing with big shots like Steve Strang, you got to oh, go through. Oh, come on. <laughs> have to go to the secretary. So I think I called your male secretary, and and because uh, I knew you were involved with the promoting Trump, like I was, I, I was involved. I was the what was I the um, uh, media coordinator for uh, Christians for Donald Trump on the website. So kind of got in sixteen early involved in the election together. That's right, and I was backing Trump, and of, of course there weren't really that many people in the Christian community, at least in the media space. In fact, the other evangelical magazine, Christianity Today, has come out against Donald Trump, believe it or not, but that's a subject for another day. But you're right, it was over that, and I guess you were wanting to find out who this crazy charismatic was down in Orlando and why I was supporting Trump, and uh, one thing led to another. And then I think the first time I met you was actually at the inauguration. We arranged to have breakfast at the hotel. The security was so tight, and there were so many people there, you could barely move around from building to building. So we just met in the hotel, and I remember we really hit it off. Well, you remember at, at the meeting, we were we were one of the few Trump supporters in the breakfast room there, surrounded by all the Women's March gals. That's remember? right, because it was the day after the inauguration. A lot of the people who came to the inauguration left, of course, and all these anti-Trump people came. It was crazy. But anyway, let's get back to the 2020 election, because... You know, I've been watching this, and when I wrote God Trump in the 2020 election, we didn't know who would be nominated. I mean, there were like maybe 17 different people, and my feeling was it sort of didn't matter who was nominated. It was going to be equally bad if they got in because of the issues, you know, that I articulate in the book. And I wrote a chapter called Why Trump Must Win, and I made the case as strongly as I could, but then... I did a chapter on why Trump might lose. And actually, as I recall, you helped me with that because you had written some things and there were eight different points. And one of them was that if the economy went really bad, you know, it'd be kind of all bets are off. And of course, at the time, we could not have envisioned COVID-19. I mean, we knew about the swine flu and SARS, you know, and it was a big deal, but it didn't really affect America, anything like this has. And all the economic advances that Donald Trump made in three years were wiped away in like three weeks. It was incredible to see. So now, fast forward, the Democratic Party looks in total disarray to me. I mean, they can't agree on anything. And Joe Biden, bless his heart, he can barely put two sentences together. He doesn't seem to know what he believes although he's been kind of absorbing the values of not just the left, but the far left. How do you evaluate this? And then maybe we can talk about the op-ed you did in News with Views. 
Yeah, I, I don't think the Democratic Party is in, in as much disarray as it looks like. Um, that's just why we'll get into it a little later, maybe in the podcast. But I, um, I think a lot of this was is is kind of in the works and planned. Can I mention who I think is going to replace, or do you want me to save it? Listen, I'm interviewing you. You tell me anything you want. I mean, I, I, let's do it sooner and later. I don't want people to turn right. this off. All right, I didn't know when you wanted me to do it. Okay, so I my scenario in the article I wrote with News Reviews back when was it the 16th of March, or almost two months ago. I have, uh, the title of the article was um, uh, The Fixes in Hillary to Replace Biden. So you have to ask the question, and it's being asked in Democratic circles. Will Biden survive? You know, and then the next question, well, the first question is, will he survive to Milwaukee in August? And then will he survive, period? And both of those are obviously no. I mean, you know, I, I'm over 60, so if I forget things, you know, my comment to people is I'm having a Biden moment. Sorry, I'll, I'll remember it later. And uh, so it's like you just said, he can't put two sentences together. He's working out of his basement. It's impossible for Joe to get through the rigors of a campaign against Trump, make it through the convention in Milwaukee without misspeaking every time he opens his mouth. So there. So what's... So what's happened is, and this is why I say these things at the highest levels politically are already orchestrated and planned out. I think they 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 pushed uh, Como out there, you know, Governor of New York, of late just to get the Democrats to start thinking, yes, we've got to replace Biden. And then, but I don't think Como is going to be the one. I think it's going to be Hillary, and we'll get into that later. So will Biden make it? No, it, it's impossible. The only things, the only times politically you look back in history, we have a president that had major physical issues was after he was elected, and then you know whether it's FDR with his issues later in life, and Eleanor was very involved with running the White House. But more than more than FDR would have been Woodrow Wilson, who was in, in, incapacitated near the end of his presidency, and his wife and Colonel House ran the whole operation, and nobody knew this. But he also wasn't running for re-election when that happened. Well, right. He did, there, there was no rigors of the campaign and public speaking, interviews, debates, none of this that Biden's going to have to go through. And it would, it would, he's, he's already an embarrassment to the Democrats. And um, uh, when, you get, when you get through what we just talked about, the rigors of the campaign and all that, and him debating Trump, that's not, it's going to be really bad. So he, that's why they brought out Como, I think, because I think they get to start, the Democrats start thinking about a replacement. But, you know, this is almost unprecedented, although I think in 1972 when McGovern ran, something like this happened. It was Thomas Eagleton in Missouri who had a some kind of a mental treatment or something, and it came out in the newspapers, and they decided he wasn't fit to be president you know, to me, I thought that he just went through a phase in life that some people go through and then he had recovered. So there was not a big outcry. It just happened. And they replaced him with Sergeant Shriver. Of course, McGovern went down in flames, as you recall. And I haven't studied it. You know, I mean, there were brokered conventions in the past and and you hear about all this stuff. But in the modern era, you know, somebody gets a nomination, they're go, you know, whether, you know, whether it's Democrat or Republican. So what makes you so certain that the Democrats have decided this? I think a lot of them think that people hate Trump so much that they'll vote for anybody that's got a D by their name. Yeah, well, true. But you got to remember, in the Democratic hierarchy, 
Uh, all, a lot of the stuff is planned. Some of it's fluid. You can't predict these things. You, you don't have the whisper of the ear. You don't have some of the inside knowledge. But I'm, you know, looking over the land, political landscape for the last 50 years and knowing um, Hillary Clinton, how she thinks, and what her vision for her life is, I've come up with the conclusion that's going to be her. Here's, let me give you my three reasons. All right, and the last one is the biggest one. I'll save that to the end. First reason is the Clintons control the Democratic National uh, Party, committee, party, the whole thing. They're, the guy in charge is Tom Perez. Tom Perez was on Clint, Hillary's 2016 shortlist for vice presidential candidate. And it's a new relationship, Perez, with the Clintons. It's very tight. He helped her in New York with the Latino vote and got her over Clint, uh, got her over um, uh, Bernie Sanders there in the, in the primary. So the relationship with Perez, who uh, runs the, uh, the chairman of the Democratic Party and the Clintons, is very tight. Como does not have the layered um, uh, uh, hierarchy within a Democratic Party and people in there that the Clintons have. So, um, and here's the other thing too. So, you, you, we saw this with uh, Bernie and Hillary in 16. They basically stole it from Bernie. Bernie would have been a more formidable candidate, I think, against Trump in, than, than Hillary and could have possibly beat Trump. And they, they did the super, remember the superdelegate deal that the Democrats did? And they basically already planned this in advance, gave it to Hillary, and she ended up winning the nomination. So my first reason is the Clintons controlled the Democratic National Committee. Their, their guy in charge is Tom Perez. He is very tight with them. And so this is real important. It's not, and remember, when you get into the, the higher end uh, national politics, whether it's both parties, it, it doesn't matter what the rank and file think. Because they have to vote, like you just said, they have to vote for the Democrats anyways. What matters is what the big donors and the hierarchy thinks, and they control both. I think they're more layered with Clinton people than even with Obama people in the DNC. All right, so that's my first thought, is they control the DNC. The next thought I have, and we, we, we can't forget, is I got a title like it's, it's her turn. So I don't know if you remember when Hillary ran against Obama in 08 in the primary, and you look at the totals, they were really close. I mean, the, the uh, delegate count, the um, uh, total vote count was very, very close. And early on when Obama was announced to run for the presidency on a Democratic ticket, Bill Clinton said, this guy's a fraud. And then the next day he changed his mind because the establishment got to him and a Democratic establishment and even the, the deeper state had Obama as the next president, and that's the way it was going to be. And they did allow uh, Hillary to run against him, but he was destined for the position, and obviously we know he got two terms. So so he gets in. Well, you know, I have a very different take on that. I don't, I'm don't. i not a political insider in the same way you are, but I thought that it was a done deal that Hillary would get it, but Hillary was so unpopular that even the Democrats didn't want her, and Obama was young and winsome and and uh, yeah. articulate, and oh, isn't it nice we have a first black president? I mean, the black people, by and large, if I remember correctly, were actually very very strong for Hillary until at some point, I guess they saw that Obama might win, and Oprah Winfrey and a few other people that endorsed Obama sent the signal that this guy could win. But when they thought Hillary was going to win, 
you know, the black population was very, very strong for Bill Clinton. You know, he used to say he was the first black president. I mean, it was tongue-in-cheek, but he was so popular and, I guess, agreed with all their issues and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, go on with your theory. But I I always thought that Obama and, you know, they would have done it again in uh, 08, except that Bernie is a communist. I mean, he's a communist that calls himself a socialist and as much as I dislike Hillary, at least she's not a communist. Right. I don't. I don't think there's a whole lot of difference. They're, they're both bad. They're both part of the global network. They're anti-nationalist and all that. But here's a, what you just said is true. In '08, Obama really was the better candidate for the Democratic nomination than Hillary. Hillary had a track record, a lot of negatives. Obama was new on the scene, no record, no negatives. He was black, half black. He had a lot of things going for him. But the biggest thing is the establishment wanted him as president. So she dutifully lined up. She lost the nomination very close. She she lined up behind Obama, supported him. So did Bill. She was rewarded with Secretary of State. She did everything she's supposed to do. Now it's her turn. Well, her turn was in 16. She lost. But that element there that of, of her turn has not left her nor the Democrats, not the hierarchy. So I think... That's a a strong element there that's kind of driving that. All right, now, my third reason why I think it's going to be Hillary, and that's really the most important, and I would call it it's her ego. So she's 72. She's going to be 73 uh, like a week or two before the 2020 election. This is her last last go of it. She had in 16, she had it won. Actually, remember, she got 2.8 million more votes than Trump. She had it won. It was in her hands, and what, what is what would they call it? it it's uh, uh, victory just slipped right out of her hands by forty-two thousand, a swing of forty-two thousand votes in three states: in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. Trump said it was a landslide. Well, it really wasn't. It was one of the closest races, presidential races, we've ever had in modern history. So she had it and lost it, and nobody could believe it. And we were praying for it, but uh, nobody on her side could believe it. Yeah, I believe that it was an answer to prayer. I really do. Oh, well, yeah. And I believe that God raised up Trump. I mean, what other Republican on that platform could have beaten Hillary? I don't think anybody could have. And Trump did. And, you know, I've never really understood the definition of a landslide, but he won decisively in the Electoral College, which is what counts And, of course, now the Democrats are trying to change that. Of course, it's got two-thirds of the legislators have to approve it after Congress approves it. And that's a pretty difficult win. So, you know, thankfully, it's like that, or we'd be having new amendments all the time. I don't really expect the Electoral College to change in our lifetime because there was a genius to it by the founding fathers, as we all know. But regardless, there, you know, I read in your news and views, you said that she'll, you know, she'll get up and she'll call for the end of the Electoral College and everybody will cheer and blah, 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 blah. So you really think this is going to happen? Yeah, I, don't, I bet, you know, and you thought on landslide, the landslides in, in, in modern history would be LBJ in 64 over Goldwater, the two Reagan elections, especially the latter one, we only when he just lost Minnesota to uh, Mondale, and then, uh, and, and uh, you know, there's a couple other ones there, but uh, that's where they won both, heavily won the popular vote and the um, electoral college. So this Trump just, you know, just he squeezed, he squeezed by in electoral college. So, anyways, 
My third point, her ego. This is really critical to understand Hillary Clinton. She's obsessed with political power and knows no moral ethical limits of restraint for her political ambition. This is a lifelong dream is to become the first woman president of the United States of America. And she barely lost it. And I think what's going on here now is she, uh, you know, after a month of recovery and, and severe depression, you know, after she lost to Trump, she has been on a stealth campaign. She's always been in the news. She's always dinging Trump here and there. She's always doing interviews and all this. And then now you're hearing things like she's raising money. There's fundraising events. You know, six months ago it was, oh, there's a lot of pressure on me to run. But she couldn't run yet until this whole group of oddball Democratic primary candidates had run its course, and it got down to Sanders and Biden, and there was no real dominant, clear uh, figure other than maybe Biden and Sanders, and that's what it got down to. And then they, like you said, because of uh, Bernie's communist leanings and, and strong beliefs there, they had to disc him. So they got him out of the way and put, and then everybody lined up uh, with Biden. With, but here's the thing, Biden's not going to make it. So he will be replaced. So who are the Democrats going to replace the, uh, him with? And the best candidate they have by far is somebody who already beat Trump. The name is Hillary Clinton. She beat Trump by 2.85 million votes. And she lost, as I said before, by a swing of 42,000 votes in three states. But, of course, she won. All those votes were in California. If you take California out of the equation, Trump won the popular vote. And that's why we have an electoral college, so that one or two states can't decide who's president and whoever's running, you know, just campaigns in those two states, New York and California and maybe Texas. And, you know, that's it. But anyway, I'm just interested... I have a couple questions. One is, what reaction have you gotten to the News with Views article, number one? And number two, I wonder why this is not more widely speculated on, either on the Internet or in the media. Yeah, it, because it's, it's a little risky, I mean, for me to say, you know, for, to go this route. But the, the response I got was um, things like, oh, wow, this is, I never thought of that. Um, and then the other other responses, yeah, I, I think you're you're right on this issue. And then a few of them would be, no, I think you're you. This is no way Hillary's gonna gonna win. Uh, everybody's tired of her. There's here Hillary weariness in the Democratic Party. And my comeback to that always is, it doesn't matter what the rank and file think. They don't make the decision. The, the hierarchy in the Democratic Party makes a decision, and that's run by the Clintons. You're right, and I observe what's going on in the Democratic Party. You know, in my book, God, Trump, in the 2020 election, I actually admit that I used to be a Democrat, but the Democratic Party was, you know, very different back then, and the issues were different. It was mainly the Vietnam War and that kind of stuff. But in uh, my book, God, Trump, in the 2020 election— you know, about the nomination, and you're right, there's a whole lot of people up there, and as I said earlier, I didn't want to, you know, speculate on it, but when it got down to Bernie Sanders and Biden, you know, Biden was not doing well at all. I mean, he was almost like an embarrassment, and remember New Hampshire, he even left the state before the votes were counted and all this kind of stuff. He did do well, and the same thing happened in Iowa, of course. And then he went to South Carolina. He did have a decisive victory there, and things seemed to turn. 
But, you know, all of a sudden, over one weekend, if I recall right, all these people that had really wanted to be president, you know, they'd raised a lot of money, they'd worked hard, hard, hard in, in uh, Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, they all just suddenly dropped out, and they all lined up against Biden in spite of how weak a candidate he was. And I thought, man, that shows that there are some powerful people behind the scenes because they were able to make all these headstrong people. I mean, you got to have an ego and be headstrong and determined and have some kind of following even to put your name up for president and then just to give it up. And, you know, we all know Uncle Joe, sleepy Uncle Joe's really never done much when he's run for president before he got almost no votes the only thing that saved him was barack obama picking him to be his running mate and he's always been funny always kissed women's hair and said meld it yeah or whatever he did and, and he'd, he'd say dumb things and blunders and all that but lately it's gotten worse it's gotten worse when you even hear him say a paragraph at the end of it you say what in the world did he say? It makes no sense. And, you know, I'm not a medical person, of course. I'm a journalist. But my mother is 91 years old, and she's a wonderful person. But she's got a level of dementia. I mean, I've seen it happen. And, you know, it starts with memory loss and everything else. And, you know, he certainly looks to me, he reminds me of some of the things that I see with my mother. And how could we vote in somebody with dementia to be president? Well, you can't, and the Democrats won't allow that. Um, you know, when you talk about his boo-boos, remember, my favorite was his, his endorsement of Trump. Remember that a couple months ago? He basically, he got his words mixed up and he endorsed uh, Donald Trump. And Trump tweeted and thanked him for the endorsement. It was so bad. But you're right there. The, the, this, if you think, if, if, if somebody looking at, at national politics, and even, see, even state and local, have, things happen or, organically and naturally happen you're naive. These things are all rigged, all worked out in advance. That's why all the candidates lined up behind Joe. They were told to do this. And I'm sure they were given promises. That, you know, they don't do this stuff for free. So you're saying that people have reacted to this by just saying, I hadn't thought of it. There hasn't been a big controversy. I really hadn't heard a whole lot about it. Have you been interviewed by other media? You know, if nothing else, it seems like it's just interesting to talk about. Mark Stein, um, uh, you know, who replaces Rush on his network, on his show, has mentioned Hillary being a possibility. There are other um, pundits that talk about Michelle, and, and I, I don't think any of the Obamas would run. They're, they're, they're too lazy. They, they've got the best life. He, he's an, a Democratic idol. Uh, for them to get back in the fray, plus all this stuff coming out on Flynn and Russiagate now with Obama being involved, uh, that's going to really hurt hurt either him being Hillary's vice president or, or Michelle running. So I don't think that's a scenario. Um, and then um, and Rush lately, Rush Limbaugh, a friend of me, a friend of mine, told me that he's he's throwing out Como as uh, New York governor as a possibility to replace Biden. So, but there's a, there are some that has t are talked about Hillary. So how does Joe do this? Does Joe just check into the hospital and say he's got health problems and he's too tired? You know, they have to. Joe, Joe is the opposite of Hillary, his mentality. Hillary's a self-starter. Joe is a party guy. He'll do whatever the donors tell him to do. He doesn't have a tremendous amount on the ball. He hasn't over the years. He's kind of a made man. 
So he, he'll, if they tell him he's got to go down, he'll go down. But they've got to save his honor because he's been dutiful to the Democratic Party. So my scenario in the article, News with Views, I, you know, I'm just guessing on these things, but I said the best thing for him to happen is to enter the hospital with you know, uh, exhaustion issues or a heart attack or something like that where he physically can't run. So it'll keep it away from his dementia issue and then the Tara Reid issue and all that just gets blown away. So, I mean, I, they've got to figure out a, a very fluid way to, to get him out of the race and replace him with their, their next candidate. Well, I hope the listeners have found this as interesting as I have. Of course, I find Tom very interesting, but I'm an observer of this. This is why I have now written several books, including this new one on COVID-19. And as we wrap this up, I do want to ask you what you think of that. But first, I just want to kind of go on the record to say one of the reasons I wanted to do a podcast on in mid-May was to be on the record so if and when this happens— you know, I can say Tom Ertle predicted this, and of course, we'll run this online, and we'll put a link to your News with Views article, which you wrote two months ago, uh, really before the COVID-19 got ramped up. How do you think that this is going to affect the race, and how do you think Donald Trump has handled this? Well, I, I've, I, you know, when when this started coming out, I had my suspicions. You know, my... my uh, after following uh, geopolitics for 50 years, I tell people if the news media says something, 75% chance it's a lie. If the government comes out of the United States with an official statement, it's 100% chance it's a lie. So when they come out with these statements on on this flu virus called COVID-19, I had immediate suspicions of the, the reality of it. It, it. It's probably legitimate. It's a flu. The numbers are less than the seasonal flu. And we can go on and on of that. But your question was how to Trump handle it. I'm 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 a big Trump guy, and you know I'm a media director for uh, Christians for Donald Trump, all of it. But I I was very upset with him giving Anthony Fauci and Burks, uh, as, as Rush calls the Scarf Queen, such a platform. So then you have uh, then both of them leaned on Neil Ferguson at the. Um, Oh, the London, uh, what was that, Imperial College of Medicine, who predicted, you know, a month and a half ago, two months ago, that the United States deaths would be on his model 2.1 million. And then they brought it down to, you know, uh, 200,000, then they're, you know, 100, and then they, were, then they were 60. And then they've had a fudge, they've had a fudge all the numbers, and we can get into that. But here, the, your question is on Trump. I wish he had not put those people on the stand and given them a public platform. So what happens is scientific models now become public policy, and we've got a massive, a massive recession going on right now. So the only way Trump can redeem himself from this, and I wish he would do it, and he, he started it. He he's t- defunded the World Health Organization, which is really a criminal Chinese operation. It's really, really bad. I've, I've gotten into Centers for Disease Control and and Fauci's National Health Institute of, of Infectious Diseases, they're all Bill Gates-funded operations. They, none of what they say can be believed. Even Burks came out the other day and said she can't believe the CDC's numbers anymore. So he, he's got to distance himself from Burks and Fauci like Tucker Carlson has done. Tucker Carlson got on the air a day ago or yesterday or whatever and said, 
And he went over Fauci, what Fauci said here and what he said there, that he disagrees with himself, and he called him a buffoon. So Trump's got to, he's got to put this whole financial problem on the scientists for their, for their wrong calculations and get it away from him. And I don't think he's got to be pushing this, this Bill Gates vaccine thing. I mean, you've got polls lately that 28% of the people said that they would not take a vaccine you know, for this. I don't think I would. You know, first of all, you don't know if it's going to work. And there's all kinds of news about how bad various kinds of vaccines are. And you have to wonder what's a conspiracy theory, you know, as these things start to come out. But they talk even about having a chip or something to be able to prove that you've had the vaccine. I mean, this sounds very, very scary, a lot scarier than just the common, uh, well, this is not a common flu, but, you know, we've learned to live with the flu. We've learned to live with swimming pool drownings and car wrecks and, you know, all kinds of bad things that is just part of modern life. Well, how about, Steve, how about people just dying from the flu every year? That's part of modern life. That's right, but nobody talks about it. I had a friend, a preacher friend of mine, who was almost exactly the same age as me, and he died unexpectedly, or at least it was unexpected to me. I hadn't seen him in a couple of months, and I just assumed he had a heart attack or something, and they said, no, he died of the flu. He got very, very sick with the flu, and this was before COVID. It was a year before COVID. Oh, oh I see, yeah. He had pre-existing morbid conditions. They're, they're all like that. You know, Remember, I don't know if you remember, but Silvio Berlusconi, the former uh, premier of Italy you know, a few years back, did a press conference when the Italian numbers were up to 3,500 or 4,000 dead. He said in the press conference, basically, when you look at it scientifically, there's only two people in Italy that had died from this COVID-19. The rest of them had pre-existing conditions. The average age in Italy was 80, 80 plus. So it's really a tremendous amount of suspicion over all of this. And and over time, it'll come out. We could talk about this for a long time. This podcast is longer than normal, but I thought it was important. So let's, as we wrap it up, why don't you just kind of sum up, again, the high points on what you wrote, maybe tell people how they could reach you, how they could get more information. Yeah, um, you can reach me off the, uh, the um, uh, email off of News With Views. Just look that up on the website and just scroll down to authors or writers. You can see my name there. But basically I'm saying, in, in, a, in a quick summary, this, this campaign on the Democratic side has been orchestrated. It's rigged. Hillary's running a stealth campaign. She's been running there for three and a half years. And she, I, I really think she's the best candidate they have to replace. Biden's got to be replaced, as we said. She's the best candidate that Democrats have because she's already beaten Trump. Uh, and she's seasoned. She's articulate. Everything we don't like about her, the, the other side does. But she'd be a very formidable candidate. So people would say, and I think what they're going to do, two quick things that we didn't get into. I think what they're going to do, and, you know, when you, you start figuring how these people think on the Democratic side, they're going to, Biden, Biden will have to bow one day. Then all the Democratic candidates and, and Schumer and, and Pelosi and all the big, and Perez will get together. And I, I suggest in my article, the best place for them to get together to hold a conclave to pick the next candidate would be Milwaukee because of the symbolism of the convention there. And I think they're going to meet a couple days and they're going to call, they're going to put a call into Hillary. And I bet you Hillary's going to say, let me think about it. We got to have suspense here. This is like Hollywood. And then she'll accept it. She'll fly in 
and accept it, and then they will not have a brokered convention. I think this is um, this is not McGovern running again in '72. They're they're going to have a well orchestrated convention in support of the candidate, which I think it's going to be Hillary, and it's going to be very very unified, and it's going to be a convention is we've got to save the country from Donald Trump. And uh, I, so, anyways, I, that's kind of my best guess after following this for 50 years, Steve. Well, I think it's fascinating. I so appreciate you being on my podcast. And as we wrap up, I just want to encourage people to go to stevestrangbooks.com, where you can get Guide Trump in the 2020 election, as well as the new one. It's a lot shorter. It's only 128 pages. It's Guide Trump and COVID-19. And it's basically what is going on and how is that going to affect the election. So, Thank you, Tom Ertle, for being on the podcast. Thank you for being my friend. You have given me input and advice and what the Bible calls iron sharpening iron on all of my books. In fact, you were a big part of me deciding to write uh, Guide and Donald Trump, uh, you know, way back in 17. And I really appreciate you and I appreciate your love for the Lord and your love for the church and your love for America. So uh, I'll give you the last word. Well, Steve, it's always good being with you to talk to you, and it's an honor to help you and and, uh, and to work with you in, on, a, on a really on a mutual vision we would have together. Even though I'm Presbyterian and you're charismatic, hey, there's bigger there's bigger fish to fry and bigger issues, isn't there? That's right. And yeah. at the end of the day, we're all part of one big family, and hopefully, we're going to spend eternity together. So. Thank you to my listeners for listening to my podcast. Share this with people. This is not a normal podcast. I've never done one like it before, and uh, it'll be interesting to see who picks it up. And, you know, if and when this happens, uh, we can point back to this podcast. Thank you for listening. Tune in again to my podcast named after the book, God, Trump, and the 2020 election. God bless you.